So, topic for a panel, panel today is basically, is gaming open for all and how do we make it open for all? And I'm going to introduce you to my panellists, if you want to introduce yourselves, that'd be great. Uh, hello, thanks Pat, um, and hello Phil, and um, uh, oh gosh, many hats. Uh, so, I'm a producer at Cubicle 7, Tabletop Board Game Game, um, we make uh, various licensed RPGs, Warhammer, Lions, um, Doctor Who, and all that sort of jazz, and variety stuff. I'm also a uh, designer producer at the Bitches Sprite, which is our own independent board game company. Uh, you can find us basically in the hall. We're selling wonderful games <laughs> every day. And yeah, that's about us. Is that enough? That's enough, yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Oh, I had to go first, so. Yeah, that's more <laughs> than enough. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Brian. I run Stout Stout. Uh, I describe Stout Stout as like an accessible publishing imprint for role-playing games so that we make entry-level games that are great for like new players of all ages as well as experienced players but we also work specifically with uh, entry-level or early career people so like early career writers illustrators giving them like the professional experience they need to get into the industries they're really excited about um, uh, I'm also queer and disabled so uh, cool <laughs> <laughs> um, hi I'm Lloyd I came for the iron brew apparently it was really good so <laughs> That's what I'm down for. I'm I'm just the guy. I'm the black guy you see at Roman conventions. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job, I guess. That's it, really. Carry on. Yeah, so um, like I said, basically this panel is one question. It's the laziest panel ever. I've only got one question, which is, is gaming open for all? And as we unfortunately, at the moment, we all know there are many barriers that make gaming not open for all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask our panelists, if you don't mind, start off by sharing an, any experience they might have had that shows how we can all learn to make gaming better and how we can make it accessible. So if anyone's got anything, they, any barriers they've come across in the past that they think you, we could... Are you just asking a bunch of panellists to gripe about the games industry? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, let me well, tell you. Yeah, <laughs> oh my um, God. Basically, I'm here for the evidence. All right, okay, cool. All right, re remember, we're mixing names and all that stuff. Um, gosh. I've got something. Yeah. Has anyone played Great Resting Trail? Yes. Great game, right? Really cool, big board game. You move stuff around. You're trying to get some cattle in there, do some cool things. When they released the second edition, they changed the enemies that you have to basically slow you down. You have to pay them off from TP. I, I hope I pronounced that teepees, which is like um, Native American teepees, to hard, badass-looking cowboys, who are badass-looking, by the way. They're kind of hot, I'm feeling it. <laughs> and the complaint that came up from a lot of people from that game, they were going, why are you erasing culture by putting it in? It's not historically accurate. Which brings up to the reason why I think tabletop games are open for all is this attraction we have to the phrase historically accurate as an excuse to be racist, sexist, homophobic, misogynistic, all of that in gaming. It's so easy to do a fantasy show or a TV thing and not have it in, but people put it in specifically because the excuse they have is, we want to make it historically accurate. We don't want to erase culture. But we're pretending to be dragons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm literally shooting fireballs out of my eyes. Why are we going through so much trouble to change things to be historically accurate when we're clearly in the world of make-believe? If we, could, if we could bring things to a standard where we could make the world we're in better than the one we are now and then turn it grimdark, <laughs> it'd be a better world. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, to like add to that, historically accurate as a term is, I guess, more like 20th century Victorian accurate. Mm -hmm. They did so much retconning of history and destruction of evidence to like get across a specific narrative they had for looking at indigenous peoples or different cultures, highland clearances, whatever they wanted to justify, they found a way for it. So when people think of like historically accurate, what you're thinking of is propaganda that's been put into 
historical circulation by some old white dudes like a hundred years ago. So it's not that accurate. <laughs> so the question then I have on that is how do you avoid that pitfall? A lot of research. It was really complicated. I mean, I'm working on a project right now called Carved in Stone that's meant to be recontextualizing 7th century Pikram. So late 7th century, 600, uh, 650 to like 690. And uh, it's really complicated to look at a, a culture where not a lot of people wrote stuff down. It's all carved into stone, hence the name. But it's not like, oh, dear diary, today I ate a boiled egg and a bit of salmon I fished out of a river. Because that would be really easy for understanding diet, but they didn't do that. A lot of our understanding of the past comes from the context of the people who look at it. So a lot of the people who had access to history recently with looking at, say, like the Pictish period, they tended to be, say, army, uh, uh, ex-army folks who retired after the 1950s and all of the World War One and World War Two stuff. And were like, what do I do now? Well, I'm going to dig some holes in the ground, make some trenches, find some stuff, and I'm going to say it was a military encampment and recontextualize all of the things that I find to be about war, because that's what I know. We all have biases, but the people who had access to history put their biases above everyone else's, and now that's all we think about. So we find something like, how do we kill someone with this? How is this a defensive structure? We don't think like, oh, was this just a playhouse? Or was this somewhere nice, or like a bakery or something like that? Yeah. So, yeah, accessibility is a really complicated subject if we're talking about history, because, yeah. oh god, it's who has access to it? Who's telling the story? Yeah, my favorite stories around those are always, um, you know, uh, predominantly you're looking at uh, a lot of... Uh, cis white dudes digging up stuff and saying it's this, this you know and there's um there's a bunch of these uh, uh realize what was it, it was the roman uh, dodecahedron shape the, with knitting. the knitting thing yes. yeah and they're like we can't a bunch of people sitting around a table can't figure out what this is for and then like a wee uh, old lady's like it's for knitting gloves yeah. and they're like yeah. what well, and they thought it was of religious significance or whatever and then oh these are really weirdly accurate calendars that um you know lay out the months and everything but they had no reason to track months and then all the women are just like um <laughs> you know exactly 28 days every time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. couldn't possibly be oh no it must be of religious significance and all that sort of stuff and it's like you know and uh, that's how the people that are in a field predominantly shape the norms of that field which in turn has like a feedback loop where it makes it harder for marginalized individuals to break into that field because they're gonna the very foundational texts that say this is how this field works this is how this works or you know you have to fight at every step and um, because it's all you know based on this like old bullshit am i allowed to say bullshit yeah. <laughs> no, honestly <laughs> trust me stop us no no you, your moderator actively encourages bad language great sorry well, joe we are in scotland we use curse words as <laughs> All right, we'll keep on that. I'll pay for every F-bomb. I mean, I actually, I would say I am the lucky one in that sense because for all intents and purposes, I am well aware of the fact that I present as the most straight white dude. That's me. I mean, you could, I'm like, you walk in, oh, there's the straight white gamer. And there's several very offensive stories. I won't tell on that front. It'll get me in trouble. But so for me, the challenge I always had is the fact that, you know, I sometimes actively look out of my way to go, I'm going to challenge that because I'm in a position where I can because everyone makes an assumption and goes, oh, John, it's just John. But I'm like, actually, no, you're making an assumption based on an appearance, but that appearance is how I choose to look. It doesn't represent me in any mm. way, shape, or form. just so happens that you can't really hide bald very well unless you spend no, a lot of money. If I may come in on that yeah. subject, is there I'm is the, I mean, also <laughs> <laughs> specifically about um, if I come I mean, on that shiny, subject, isn't it? there is the gamer look yeah. that became the stereotype for a lot of the time that I was into the into the industry and into the industry into the hobby, <laughs> which is white guy bearded with glasses, maybe or maybe not nerdy T-shirts. I mean, I'm not saying this There's room. There's no maybe not. I'm not um, for the, for the, those listening later on. Um, the room is full of uh, quite a number of that. But it's not all those things. I'm not saying that's the only look anymore because it used to. I started coming to gaming conventions in 2005, and I've sort of watched it slowly change because the biggest problem I had was why would I go to a gaming convention when no one there looks like me. 
and there's a lot of arguments online about well it's not our it's not our job to do it it's not our because it's a little and the thing that i drove me to keep going was i wanted to challenge that and go i want to try and be there so other people looking in would see it's more welcoming the space didn't make it easy for me to come in it didn't really most role-playing books would have a white person at the cover most role-playing books would talk about white culture with white things and all that i i am a black for the for the audience watching online i'm on black eyes i just want you to know that and it's always it's always a struggle for me to insert myself in because our culture has been changing our tv's been changing we have a more diverse cast on tv and video games and everything else and gaming in the last five years has been trying to twist that I mean, when I saw a black guy in a D&D 5th edition book, I was like, oh my God, I kind of, they were the villain. But that's not the point. They were getting, we were getting somewhere, okay? It's yeah, but, but let's be clear, villains have the best jobs. <laughs> yes, but I'd like to see a hero every now and then. And it's the change of the industry. And I feel that the industry changing and adding more, for the use of a different word, color to your books is what's making the place still a bit more coming in. I can't speak for women being allowed in the industry. I'm, I would love to, but I'm not an expert at that. But I can tell you that it feels better for me coming in. It's just not quite there yet. Mm. That's the, um, you know, as somebody who does organize a tabletop convention, and I, I, I've always come at this, we as a group, we've always come at this from a really simple perspective is, what makes your money any different? end of the day i need you all to buy tickets and i don't care just give me your money and what i don't get is why anyone puts that amount of energy into caring about who they get their money from as a publisher or a, a developer or a creator exactly how the amount of effort required to stop somebody being involved far outweighs the amount of effort required just to well, be there. Brian, you got well. this one. Well, yeah. well. <laughs> okay. Good. I was gonna say I don't think capitalism is an intrinsic human quality. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, so that sort of argument of oh, anybody's money is good money. I, I don't think it cuts to the heart of it. Humans, I believe, love to in-group and out-group, like to feel like identified towards something, and also be able to di differentiate themselves. And a lot of what causes accessibility problems in any context, the pushback against it, that is, is this sense of, oh, well, we did it like this, and that's my identity, and this is how I feel, and we should do it like this, because that's always how we've done it, and it just gets very circular. And when you look self-reflectively at why we do things the way we do, there's often very little reason why we do it like that, other than it was the person who was in the room who made the decision at the time. If you're thinking about history, then it's, you know, a white military general who's retired from the army went and dug some holes and found some stuff and went, cool, what if it's like this? And now we're like, well, everything is now like this. It has to be like this. But there's no reason to. It was just one guy or two guys. And now we have more people in the room and we now have more opinions. If we look at, say, how rules are in role-playing games, oh, well, you have to have Thacon. You have to have an armor class of 27 plus 9 and it has to have this and 7 modifiers and, well... That's because one person did it like that. And yes, we love a trend and we love things and doing things, but we can have change as well. And when it comes to artwork as well, oh, well, you have to have a white guy on the front because the white guys are the good guys. Mm, well, let's reflect on that. Why do we have it like that? Because one person did it. We don't have to do it like that. So when it comes to the sense of, oh, well, anybody's money is good money, I think we need to rephrase that to be like, well, we want people in the room. We want to share this experience. Why do we feel so tied to this specific way of doing something? To sort of move the conversation towards another form of accessibility. About it's two years ago now, the whole pandemic ago, but there was this huge kickback against this fifth edition supplement called, uh, I think it was like the combat wheelchair. Mm. And essentially it was, ah, oh, if you want to be in a wheelchair, here's the aesthetics of how you do it. And sometimes it can topple over, but sometimes it doesn't. And people were like, you can float upstairs for free. This is insane. You've ruined Dungeons and Dragons. I'm going to kill myself. It was insane. The reaction was so out of proportion of just, oh, dude's in a chair now, as opposed to dude isn't in a chair. Like, there was no difference to the gameplay. And those mechanically. are the same people who quite happily take their broomstick and put it in their handy haversack of storage. <laughs> yeah, or any other kind of, they don't, they're not looking back reflectively and thinking, why do I feel like this? Oh, it's because well, we didn't do it like that before. Why didn't we do it like that? Because no one had thought to do it like that. 
well, that's a more complicated question of why did we exclude people? But the, the overall is, we didn't do it like that. We can do it like that now. Let's do it like that now. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for, in general, uh, most of what we're working in is, you know, we're creating content for people to enjoy as a hobby during their downtime. And questioning norms takes energy. It takes self-reflection. Um, I still, I always say one of the funniest experiences I had was um, years ago sitting at a, um, a gaming store and uh, mentioning, you know, just playing, playing away and mentioning that I didn't really feel comfortable in this atmosphere. There were other game stores I'd rather be in. And the person sitting directly across from me looks me dead in the eye and says, why do you not feel comfortable? And behind me was a life-size, like, chainmail bikini pin-up gal doing, like, the, the big poses and everything, like the tits and ass, like, Marvel mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm just like, you know, can't quite figure. But it's, you know, it's it takes effort and energy to self reflect to mm. reflect on like your industry as a as a whole and i think it's one of the reasons why so many hobbies feel strangely resistant because folk are there to blow off steam to relax a lot of the time they're not even thinking about what's around them let alone willing to put in the energy to do that because they're like oh i just want to blow off steam i don't want to have to think about this and everything so it's uh, it's definitely it's a hard steering and a, and a very slow steering ship because the crew are asleep at the helm. Is mm -hmm. that where the analogy was going? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the crew have done a runner. May I jump back on your idea of what, why would you not want more people to give you money? Yeah, um, there is there is a community that okay. I'm gonna preface this with some big boy moves. Watch yourselves. <laughs> watch yourselves. Um, Everything is politics. I just want to put it out. Okay, everybody cool with that? Are we cool? Excellent. Yes, 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 yes. Cool. If anyone says don't put politics in my gaming, turn to f off. Yeah. See, I said f off for you. F off. Just tell them. <laughs> Lloyd man, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that was wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when you build a community, you want to build a community of people. You usually build a community of people you think are more like-minded who will bring other people onwards to come in there. For a very long. Oh, sorry, I am breathing down my throat. <laughs> For a very long period of time, the majority of people who would attend conventions and buy your stock and buy all that stuff would be predominantly white people. I, I was going to speak from my perspective. If there is a way that you can attract more people in to buy it, you will do whatever it takes to go, including aligning with your politics. So if you have a bunch of people who are very much on one alignment of a way of thought, saying, keep politics out of my gaming, um, going all in for like new TSR style, you would advertise to them because that's who you want to get in because you know they'll buy your product. And as such, would start the grift. We had, you know, your Turbo Yovalo 2016 onwards and before and after, we had that lovely OSR movement that started to build up where things were becoming, I don't use the word conservative, I'm gonna use the term alt-right and just leave it at that, mm. where we had a lot, we had a lot of build up of this idea of keep politics out of my gaming, also all women should wear chainmail bikinis, also we like reading Mythrog because we're terrible people, also look at all the blood, look at all the gore, ooh let's attract more people for that to come in. And that grift kept going until something close to 2018 when everyone kind of started to wake up, thank Christ. And with the world changing as it is and becoming more acceptable, you can see that grift going down. But that's a reason why people would be that way, be that incredibly close-minded in the game, tabletop gaming industry. It's still there even today. So the, the, the hard thing is how do we fight that? Because it is a fight in many respects, I would say. Can I suggest swords? Yes, you can. Um, um, I, I like to say that I don't suggest swords. I just, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of I can't use swords. They're kind of dangerous. <laughs> Someone will get hurt. Please, no, I can't. The intent is that they are kind of dangerous. <laughs> so, uh, to go back to the question I was trying to ask there, Bradley, is these are obviously examples of obstacles and where we're, we're all, we can all see areas that need improvement. That there's some fixes that we can all see are obvious, but is there anything you would say is a, a less obvious... I want to say fix or solution, that we can all achieve simple measures that 
probably it's a case of everyone does a little thing and that could help the avalanche build. May I, may I do a tiny back pat on this and say thank you for having a gender neutral toilet? Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. I, I, I was generally impressed by that. I don't even have, we don't even have that drag in me. And thank you very much for that. And it's small things. It, I can't, I can't tell you that. Here, here is how you get black people to play more role playing games. I can't do that. But I can tell you that small starting steps and working your way up to getting that in there. A general toilet is an easy start to put down to one. Keeping, 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 keeping your language neutral. Is also a really easy way to keep that with that. Your advertising, the people you invite in, the panels you have, the things that you want to pull people in to go for that. That's what I would say is your starting steps to bringing more people in. But I can't give you a perfect answer no, because I, I'm only human. Well, the thing there is obviously is that the, every answer we get is a bit of a perfect solution. But a perfect solution is something that we will never have because we are just basically flawless. Unfortunately. I think there's also... There is a risk um, of sometimes feeling like uh, there is anything that you, the individual, can do to snap your fingers and say, I'm going to fix this. Sometimes, in my humble experience, the most important thing is to recognize I cannot speak to this experience. I cannot speak to what is going to be best for a marginalized group. So I'm going to step out of the way. I'm going to signal boost the people who actually have the experience to say this is what's going to make us more comfortable. This is what's going to make us more accepted and whatnot. Um, because, you know, the the majority already take up a lot of oxygen in the room, I guess, is what you want to say. So um, if the majority all begin to start screaming, well, I have a solution for you. But, you know, if the if the marginalized groups are still not, they're still not getting their say in. So it's, you know, it, again, it's still going to be painted or um, sort of steered more towards what the, the the norm think is the solution, which is maybe sometimes not that. So I think um, that's the the one I try to keep in mind a lot. It's like sort of just have, what's the term? Stay in your lane. It sounds so <laughs> aggressive yeah, when yeah, I say stay in your no, lane, but, it, but um, it, it's about making a space and actually making that space. Yeah. And keeping that space available. If you mm. if you immediately go look, I'm opening the door and then closing it straight away, that <laughs> defeats the purpose of opening the door in the first place. Yeah. So I'd come in and say that it, it, reframing how we think about accessibility is quite important as well. Accessibility isn't something that we do for some nebulous, like, perfect ideal of some minority. It's for everybody, and it benefits you as much as it benefits everyone else around you. Um, to kind of, like, give an example, there are papers coming out right now that are suggesting that the majority of the world coming out of COVID is going to be disabled. Either they have long COVID, or they have PTSD, or they've lost people and are grieving. Like, it's a massive shift around the entire world. And it can happen again when you've got monkeypox going on. There's more, like, people aren't changing or like, governments aren't taking prof proper measures to protect everyone and to deal with the sorts of problems that are coming up. So if we think about accessibility as not just helping someone in a wheelchair, but helping you as well and putting safety measures in place for you in the future when you eventually become disabled or eventually explore some other part of yourself or have space for that and that more sort of di not just like black and white understanding of oh I'm me and oh that's a disabled over there or something like that it it, fra it changes how you do things so to then get a specific example like if you're in a zoom call then like having subtitles auto caption yeah sometimes I miss something and it's really nice to be able to read that back I don't necessarily have to have a disability to appreciate that, but that is an accessibility measure that makes things better. To then take that sort of analogy of like, if it helps me and it can help everybody, there's no single solution, as you know, Lloyd just said, that was ever going to fix everything. But so long as you're thinking of how you can help the people around you, and that means everybody around you, you don't have to do everything. As long as you're doing something and someone else is doing something else, we can all do everything, if that makes sense. I wish I'd done this over Zoom. I could have sat like that for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> lost, I lost my train of thought there, sorry. <laughs> so actually, thinking on that front, before I forget, um, when we were setting up Tabletop Scotland seven, eight years ago, we reached out to a fairly diverse group of friends, fellow gamers, etc. And we asked similar questions. What would you like to see? And 99% of the feedback we got was oh, lots of role-playing gamers. Very few people actually said to us, 
I would like a genuinely toilet. Or I would like to make sure there's wheelchair access. But what we soon discovered was, after that point, once we'd got that I want RPG space out there, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons, what we started then getting was quite insistent feedback that actually, I want to be there, here's what I need for you to facilitate. Hence why we have a gender neutral toilet, because somebody actually contacted us and said, could you tell me if you've got a gender neutral facilities? So we did a tour of the building, found that toilet and stuck a gender neutral sign on it and went, that's what that is. And it only took one person asking one question. We went, well, that's an easy accommodation. So for us doing that, we've always thought, right, if we ask the question, we will get an answer. We won't always be able to provide the answer, but at the very least, we can ask the question. So on that point, do you have any questions <laughs> that you'd like to ask the panel? What a segue. I know. Really, you're <laughs> that was actually Thank beautiful. I'm, yeah. I like, I'm, I'm amazed that was incredible. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Hi, is, your, is the microphone coming towards you? So you were saying earlier about making space, and I think one of the things that's really effective is just like being able to essentially like platform other people and let those people come through. Um, in each of your cases, who do you think is the most interesting person to listen to if we're thinking about either accessibility or thinking about the way in which we can kind of like remove obstacles or even just infuse groups of people that previously have felt left out in this case? I'll, I'll give you my really quick and easy answer is I don't multitask very well and I'll tell you that I'm, I like doing one thing at a time so for me the answer is whoever I'm speaking to right then is probably the most interesting person on the planet if that person says to me John this is my idea or this is my thought then frankly I'll be on board with that until I've done it or I realise I can't do it uh, so for me and I always find that if I'm able to help that individual solve a problem they've come to me with that they want to help with or even just be the person they've asked the question and I'm going to say look I don't know but I will help you that's it I, I, I'm interested because I've always found if I do that I can almost in every instance find other people that are going to help benefit with that so I'm always interested in one person at a time it works for me you know I'm not the big thinker that stage job <laughs> straight up openly I am horrendous with names um if you were to ask me like i remember a lot of like projects and like i remember the um uh, the combat wheelchair and everything i was like heck yes crap what was her name uh yes yeah, there we go um uh, absolutely terrible when it comes to names um and uh, i recognize people the other problem as well is that uh, uh one of the weird things with obviously living and operating in scotland is that you're outside of that london sphere where you physically meet a lot of people I mean, heck, what, 2011 census says Scotland is 96% white. Um, so, you know, um, so you're outside of, like, that, that sort of bubble of, like, sort of these, these places where a lot of people can meet and interact. So I also know a lot of people by Twitter handles and <laughs> avatar images. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I love, you know, I like what you're saying and everything's good and whatnot. So I will signal boost, go signal boost. Um, that picture ben of the cat makes very good points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jorts is a left-wing rallying cry. Yes. <laughs> Who would have thought One the, the meme, uh, <laughs> you buttered Jorts, would become a radical leftist rallying figure? But I am here for it, and this is the world we live in. So <laughs> Sorry, but honestly, at that point, if there's any one individual group of things on the planet that could be called anarchists, it's cats. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong. Why does every oh. panel I go to turn into talk about cats? Because <laughs> cats are. <laughs> just to me. I have three. I will show you pictures later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, also pandemic online only no screen names. Never meet anyone in person. This is the most people I've seen in a long time. Hi. Hi. Um. So two people, one handle, one name. Yubi Coates is a disability uh, activist, uh, specifically for visual impairment, uh, who works in Scotland as, I know Yubi initially from the huge push from them for alt texting your images on Twitter, because if you don't, then people who use screen readers cannot access anything you're doing. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened, image. Wow, this is incredible. We, we reached our goal, image if you're lucky. Otherwise, it'll just skip straight over it if you're using a screen reader. 
but yeah, so UB Coats for visual accessibility and sort of the, the work they're doing is incredible. And then uh, going a bit further afield, their handle is Momotoes, which oh. is interesting. But yes, uh, Momotoes works with uh, the large movement known as RPGC or Southeast Asian uh, role-playing games. And uh, they have, I think she has the most incredible guides on making beautiful books, and you wouldn't believe it, uh, Google Slides. <laughs> So accessibility, not just in terms of like seeing yourself in a space, but also accessibility in terms of the tools you can access, which often is re uh, related to sort of where you are in the world, your economic status, you know, what sort of provisions are being provided to you. Like a lot of people can get access to like InDesign and Photoshop through like university courses and stuff. But if you're not in those sorts of spaces, you can afford that. What tools have you got available to you for free? So yeah, Momotos is doing some really great work and like professional level, like award winning. I'm not just saying like, oh, it's great. No, like literally winning like Ennies and, and Diana Jones award and all sorts of really cool stuff. So yeah, but also to tag onto all of that, I think a really good thing is not to, uh, the word was in my head, but basically not to put anyone on a pedestal too much. To be like, these are cool people, but also at the end of the day, they're just people who have Twitter. <laughs> They have good things to say, and we should signal boost them, but don't like make them into the next messiah because that's, they're never going to live up to your expectations in the same way that like we don't live up to each other's expectations. We're humans, we say dumb things, and that's okay, and we should be a bit forgiving with each other. Tiny, tiny addendum. Um, if anyone thinks that Google Slides is a hilarious way to lay out books, uh, we do it with Drupal 7 all the time. When, we're doing, <laughs> when you're doing an outline, so like step one of how does a book look, drop into Google Slides because half of the team don't have uh, like really detailed design stuff in their brain. Yeah. But you wouldn't know that if you're looking at a finished like book or whatever. And yeah, there's definitely a lot to be said about um, accessibility to tools and class and how, again, if you're not having people from lower income households, if they don't have, or, they, or if they don't feel, or they don't have access to the tools um, to make things, then you're gonna, you're shutting out an entire um, voice from, Sorry, some minor addendums. Yeah. <laughs> Google Slides, very good. <laughs> Use I, all the time. I stand Cubicle 7 so hard. <laughs> They're okay. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> keeping them balanced. <laughs> They're okay. Yeah, yeah keeping them balanced. No you got one, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, side note, uh, in case you all didn't know about it, the, um, in Gen Con, there was a BIPOC room, which was dedicated to people of color on, and from types for going in relaxing and speaking to other people of color in the industry it was a really cool mix up in there don't don't google it though because you'll find some people you don't want to talk about just mm. talking about it mm, not okay but rose gauntlet <coughs> entertainment organized and got that down i hope it's rose gauntlet i'm not getting this wrong and i thought it was one of the coolest and most greatest ideas i've ever seen at gen con and i thought i just shot them up for that I can't give any more information because I'm just coming from third hand. I was in the room, but I never met them. But I thought I'd just shout it out for that. And that's a perfect example of make the space and let them follow. Let the people of the spaces follow, fill the space. And you can almost guarantee that if you do that, anything that comes out of that space will enrich everything around it. It's an easy win. And well done for anyone who's looking at it. I saw it advertised. Oh, it was great, wasn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. I did get to go to Gen Con. Dave did. I, we know, we met him, it was great. What a great time. He reminds <laughs> me of cake. Cake. It was delicious. <laughs> you were missing out. Sorry, any more questions? <laughs> uh, we'll start with uh, the person in the red t-shirt, the volunteer t-shirt. Hi, um, firstly, I'd like to give another re re recommendation for D&D um, &D Twitter people. Um, Je 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 Jennifer Kretschmer. Um, yeah, oh, she's great. If you go onto her Twitter, which is DreamWisp, you will see like the thing she's got pinned to um the top of her feed is the like role-playing game ac accessibility bible like it's genuinely great um i have two words that will form a question to you guys <laughs> safety tools necessary in all circumstances mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely in fact we have safety tools in the rpg rooms we've got x cards on the tables um day one we started planning this all those years ago. It was second or third thing on the list. It was like, what RPGs we're running? Who are the DMs? What are the safety tools? At the very least, the first thing we said was X cards. And then we've got a Dave, Dave looks after the RPGs. He's a very 
thorough set of rules that he expects behaviour-wise from DM and how they manage the safety of their players. But from our viewpoint as a convention, if you're not willing to play with our safety tools at a minimum, you're not welcome. Simple as that. It's necessary. There's no circumstance where I don't think you should ever have, at a minimum, a basic level of safety for all your players. Um, I, I mean, if I'm going to jump on that, uh, safety tools is a great subject. I am ready. Okay, let's go for this. All right. <laughs> this is, this is Lloyd's three minutes of safety tools. Okay, one, lines and veils, fantastic. We love them. Two, scripting, incredible. If you don't know what scripting is or lines and veils, here's a summary. Line, this is something that I don't want to see in the game. Veil, I don't mind it being in the game, but let's just make it too much of a big deal. You know, let's try to focus on it. Simplest thing ever. You just ask your players, do you want a line? Do you want a veil? Tell us what you want. We'll write it down. We won't put it in the game. It's the easiest thing and cost everyone nothing, literally nothing. It can be any subject. You can put it down and we know what's going on. There are so many people who just do not understand why that's important. And it's it's incredible how many games I play. People are like, well, I don't really understand why you have safety tools. And I'm like, well, if you just don't want a game, just walk away. I'm like, well, what if you don't have an option? What if you're at a con? What if you don't know that is an option? What if you're incredibly shy? What about all these other problems that come in? Two, if you're doing your safety tools, Tailor them to the game that you're playing. Some games are going to need a little bit more than just, oh, let's just tap an X card and go home. Like You're like, no, we need to establish right now, if we're playing a vampire game, what I am not okay with seeing. And side, side note, don't play vampire. That's a future subject. I need to do exactly what I don't want to be seeing and what I'm not okay with. Because I do not want to go into that game with a whole bunch of strangers and they're talking some nonsense. And I'm like, I'm not okay with this. Easiest thing in the world. Do you know how easy people people can put racism in the game and think it's okay? And you're like, I don't think it's okay. And they will never ask you. They just they'll just do it. They'll just do it. And then you're like, hey, um, actually, I'm not comfortable with that. Can we take it back? I've had to rewind scenes with people and gone, actually, can we just erase that bit in there? I know what you're trying to go because they're trying to be historically accurate. Uh. But if you could just like not for five minutes, then it's done for that. Three, safety tools are something that every goddamn role-playing book should just put in. It's a single paragraph, and it reminds people. And people who read it and don't like safety tools will stop reading your books. It doesn't want to run your games. Everybody wins. Like, who, who falls for this? Sorry, I ranted for a bit. Carry on. Okay, no. um, three minutes on the clock. <laughs> I'm a professional, baby. It's hard to follow up that, because he's right... In the book. Oh, I'm just getting flashbacks to um, what is an RPG discourse on Twitter and whether you should have a paragraph on what an RPG is at the beginning of your book. And that's a form of accessibility for people who have not played your game. But if you're not writing a game for people who have not played RPGs, but oh my god. I think the best way for accessibility actually is just to get off of just cancel Twitter. No Twitter. No talking. <laughs> people but should about, wrong. But about um, safety tools. They're just another way of humans talking to humans about what we do and don't want to do, and that's what they're at the end of the day. Yeah, they're essential. Yeah. I think especially, again, if it's rolling back to the idea of trying to have more uh, diverse individuals playing your games, engaging in them and whatnot, um, a lot of the time, the you know, if you've got someone um, who's running a game and they're not from certain marginalised groups, they're not going to know, you know, something completely innocuous to them um, might be incredibly like upsetting, triggering. Um, I mean, like perfect example. If we want to, if we want to talk about vampire, um, don't uh, play vampire. I, I've played vampire a couple of times. I do not like when people go into extreme details of, and then I follow her from the club and I stalk her down an alley. <laughs> that is horrible. That no. is not good. But yeah. I'm a monster. Yeah, and it's like, oh, but it's like pivotal to the experience of being an edgy midnight stalker of the night. And it's like fade to black, people. Come on, just like, <laughs> like do something. I don't. I. I can't. You know. You know, you'd be hard pressed to find um, many women nowadays who haven't experienced something like that growing up or whatever. And it's these sorts of things are just like you know you gotta yeah. So lines and veils. I, I, any, I've any never played vampire. I've never played it. No, like why be a vampire where you can be an eleven foot tall creep? Admi <laughs> admittedly, <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Yeah, I believe there was a question at the back there as well. Yeah. Sorry, did you have a second question? Oh, not not really, but. Um, if anyone wants to take uh, to check out the tabletop role play game safety toolkit, just plug that phrase into um, Google. It's totally great. Awesome, thank you. Sorry, this might be a little um, 
disjointed because I didn't think of this in advance, but it was something I thought of when you said at the start that you'll take anyone's money. I like the impression <laughs> you think I thought of this in advance. Uh, <laughs> effectively, my question is, what are your thoughts on exclusion as a method of making things more inclusive? Um, I'm thinking, I, I come from a, a LARP background from running LARP for thousands of players, and what we frequently have is we have people who will not change and will not obey our rules, and you, you I imagine most people have met people who think that um, that the R word is funny and it doesn't matter whether you're thinking of the four-letter R word or the six-letter R word. They frequently think they're both funny. Oh or um, who just will not take a telling and will keep on. What are your thoughts on excluding those people to make other people feel that your game is more for them? I'm definitely letting the panel answer that question before I say anything because I will cause... Josh, an absolute nightmare if I answer. I've given up the game. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I cannot answer this question fairly because I have a very zero tolerance policy when it comes to certain things. I run games on demand at UK Games Expo and Gen Con. And if someone, and I've had to do it once, I've gone, if someone has come up and has even given me the smallest type, I have a very zero tolerance policy. If you are popping the R word, like it's nobody's business, I will kick you out. I do not care what other people do because I want to make my space inclusive to everyone else and you not being there, if you're not there and your friends are trying to solidarity you and not be there too, they can also piss off. And I feel, I don't feel like I have a nuanced way of dealing with that, so I'm going to leave that to the rest of the panelists. <laughs> well, I would say it's always the context of the situation and what would have achieved. So yeah, I agree with you. Zero tolerance with adults. We're grown adults, we know what harm is. For example, like if I'm playing, if I'm running a, uh, a game for a group of kids and one of them makes a dumb joke that is dumb, I know, well, they're kids. They've clearly picked up this up from somewhere. This is an opportunity to educate them. But also, there's nuance in all sorts of daily life. Like, do I have the energy to educate someone? Do I have the time to be like, hmm, is this a situation I can salvage or can I explain this or like, do I nix this right now? It's, it's just complicated, but it is a tool, and I think it's useful. Excluding people is something that needs to happen in situations, but there's no like golden example of like, oh, always do it here, because it's always a choice you make with the full context of the situation. It's never like, oh, you said one word, mm, get out, you're dead to me. It's never as clear as that. <laughs> there's always nuance but there are situations where it truly does happen and i fully approve of it <laughs> yeah I, I would i would tend to agree normally i'm always willing to try to lead with kindness and if somebody says something there's a chance that they're just naive and they think it's chill if you point out to them this is harmful you're being a dick um, and they still seem unrepentant or they try to talk back or whatever if they don't have the basic empathy to be able to say, shit, I hurt someone's feelings, I'm sorry. You don't want them in your group anyway. Mm -hmm. um, second point, it's always morally acceptable to punch Nazis. Okay? Mm. That's like, mm. I, I'm we, can, we can agree I'm there? Down. Okay, cool, cool. Good, Required good, good, good. in all circumstances. <laughs> I'd um, also add that ex exclusion is not just a method of like keeping a space accessible for other people. It can also be a self-defense tool. Like, if something triggers you and you're like, oh damn, this makes me feel awful, you can be like, okay, I don't care where you're coming from by saying this, get out. I can't handle that and I'm the one running this space and I get to say, I'm not cool with that. And they can be afterwards like, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't know. But you can be like, look, I don't care. It made me feel crap at the time. You can, We can figure it out later, but right now you've got to go. And that's also okay. It can not just be, for, again, for other people, accessibility is for you as well. Embrace the power you have as a LARP runner and abuse it to keep those people out. I'm just saying. Just, just, <laughs> just, just get drunk of that power. So. Is it yeah. abuse yeah. though? No. Just, just <laughs> the words that we use have power, <laughs> says the writer. <laughs> Make use of the facilities you have. Mm. Uh, uh, from, from our viewpoint, from Tabletop Scotland viewpoint, we are actually, I think, quite lucky in the sense that in the three years we've held the event, Unfortunately, the two-year gap where we haven't, there has been precisely one situation where we've had to go down that exclusion path. Thankfully, that person signposted well in advance that they were, <laughs> they were in fact, sorry, Josh, a piece of crap, right? And we sold them the ticket. They saw the 
code of behaviour and the required behaviour we expect of all our attendees and exhibitors. They arrived, they did exactly what we thought they, were, they might do, quiet words were had, it was made clear either you stay and behave or you go, they opted to go. Thankfully I don't have to reveal where the body, body is buried, <laughs> but we've had one and I think that comes back to the fact that we are relatively lucky in that the vast majority of people just want to be with like-minded people, they want to be with people they share something with, this hobby, this industry, have fun. And for the main part, that's a good enough, big enough reason that they're willing to live and let live and be accommodating and be accepting of others. And those people that aren't, sometimes just punch them in it. There's no harm. Just remember, thumb outside. <laughs> uh, please please outside. don't take that advice on context. Please don't go punching actual physical, like, use a, use a stick. It's easy. <laughs> I'm telling so you, don't hurt swords. Your hands. Don't hurt swords. your hands. Also, swords. Don't, don't hurt yes. your hands, please. Yeah. Thank you. Any more questions from anyone? Hello, yes. Oh, gentlemen, so person at the back there, and then yourself. Mementos is also a brilliant person. Hi, I'm Andrew from Geek Native, and I've been sitting on this question for a while, but it feels appropriately sort of contextual. So this is about getting the right people into your game. A question, I'm going to cry for help. Is there a, a, a better phrase than and thoughts on positive discrimination. Ooh, could you give like a little more context <laughs> to that question? <laughs> so I just go like five words further. So positive discrimination comes from, uh, I think, recruiting people and you actively, proactively try and get a more diverse workforce by saying, right, I need some more women in the company because you know, and, and hence it is positive, but some people would argue discrimination and it's become a bit pejorative, a bit toxic, you can see the wrong, wrong people use it. And there is definitely a school of thought to say actually as somebody organising a game or a LARP, you should make the same effort to get a diverse group. The, the phrase for example, um, hard to reach is banned by the Scottish Government in marketing because that kind of blames communities for being awkward, actually it's seldom heard, you know, you, ha you have to make the effort. But is this appropriate in role playing, like tabletop games and I guess if you hadn't, hadn't heard the phrase, you haven't had time to think about a be better alternative, but just thoughts on, on, on that. There's, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack in the concept. Like I would, up front, my gut would say, it's always morally correct to try and like um, bring marginalized people and, and actively seek out marginalized individuals because you're enriching, whether if you're writing something, if you're running something or whatever, if you're actively seeking marginalized voices to try and integrate into your um, whatever, it's good, that's great. Um, and uh, But I've also heard of um, stories where someone will show up to a game store and say, I want to run a game, but I only want to run a game uh, for women. Um, sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a guy in that position and you have to like raise an eyebrow and be like, what is, you know, I think it comes down to intention. Why do? You, why are you seeking uh, a specific marginalized group? Because there's also the kind of crappy situation where, oh, I'm specifically looking for marginalized groups to exploit them, you know, etc. Um, so it's, it yeah, it's definitely there's a lot to unpack in it. There's it all comes down to like intention and how you go about it. You know, if it's a um, say you're doing like a, a recruiting call and you're like hey i'm looking for players i'm looking for whatever um and you flag that you are es you know especially interested slash happy to accommodate um marginalized individuals that some people would argue that that's um like positive discrimination because you're actively flagging like that or that but to me that's more just raising a flag and saying you are welcome here um and uh Again, this might, you know, I can only speak from my own experience. I live in Scotland, 96% white. So um, to me, I would see absolutely no problem in that. But I can, I can see some people are saying it's, it's a complex one. I'm rambling, so I'm going to pass. <laughs> Any thoughts? Um, I, I have never actually had to re actively recruit people in trying to get that in because I always make it very clear that I am looking for a very diverse group mm -hmm. and that always causes me problems when it comes to recruiting for things like that. Mm -hmm. I always get people saying, Lloyd, why are you not looking for the best person 
why are you not look why why are you looking for people of color or people like that don't you qualify for that mm. so you don't need more i have had this before it's painful i hate it my life sucks so I, I i always i would come back and that would say how would i know that person's the best person until i've role played with them for 10 hours you, I mean, don't know. you don't know i mean until you've actually sat down at a table or a game with somebody how do you know what somebody's skill is how do you know who's going to be the best i mean i am a terrible role player <laughs> don't ask me to do anything in character i'm a as a DM, I can't do anything in character. I can't do voices. All my characters have the worst names ever. I'm terrible at that. But when it comes to actually playing, I try to be as old as possible. I love playing with people who can act their characters. Don't ask me to do it. That That's the best person for that. I'm the worst person for that. That's the best person for that. So for me, the, the best way of doing that is, again, it comes down to if you're making a space, make it available. Um, we I the gaming group I'm part of in Dunfermline, we meet on a Friday night between six and nine. Now, for some people, Friday nights are horrendous, right? Because Friday night is a particularly busy night in certain industries that is not the case in nine to five office work. So it might be the case that you have to say, well, is the audience I'm trying to make my game available to or my environment available to, is there any point in doing it on a Friday night at 9 o'clock when actually I should be doing it on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. So probably you have to actually go out and ask that question to the people. You know, say to them, what would make you want to join in? What would encourage you to be a participant and cater to those needs? You know, terrible Field of Dreams moment, build it, they will come. Basically what I'm saying, Mr. Geek Mages guy, is put it in the description. Just do it. Trust. Let's just believe yourself. You get some flack for it, get, they'll get over it. I'd that. also add on to Elaine's point of like intention. Intention can also come from a good place, but with bad impact. If you pity someone, oh, I want, I want, you know, some diversity in my group. That's a horrible place to come from because you know we're all people and we all want to be involved, but we don't want to be involved at pitying. Like you don't want to be like the younger brother at the party. Like, oh, you. The little ten-year-old playing. Oh yeah, he can roll some dice sometimes. That's not fun, and it's not fun if like, oh well, you know, we did something to really help you out. Is that okay? Like, you don't want to be spoken to like that. So, do it because you want the people there, and do it because you honestly want the people there. However you do it, it will probably be fine, so long as the intention, as Elaine said, is good. And there was one more question. So there were two, three more questions. All right, speed run. Let's go. All questions answered in three minutes. Go, 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 go. <laughs> run, we've run. Been, we've got eight minutes left. We eight can minutes? do at least no. three. At least three. Two, two, two. Yeah. We do three. We do three. Let's just speak really fast. Ups, easy. Um, as I'm a publisher, and I've had no trouble at all finding women uh, writers, um, gay, straight, whole spectrum writers, sexuality, gender, the whole lot. Women, but where do I find people of color? To write for me, uh, Scotland, ninety-six percent white. Yeah, don't come, don't don't come to Scotland. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been we've been here since ninety ninety-two, and we've had no problem at all finding anyone apart from people of color. We tried Chris Spivey, who's a big fan of our game. We said, "Hey, do you want to write for us?" He says, "No, I'm too busy fighting my own battles." So he didn't have time to work for us. So where, how can we attract writers like that when we want to broaden our voice? We know we sound particularly British and white. There's no way around that at the moment. Got to take on new talent. I mean, like, this is coming from, like, the art student who couldn't find any, like, properly professionally paid work for three years because I didn't have professional experience and I couldn't get professional experience because I didn't have professional experience. If you want to involve people, that takes an additional piece of legwork. And admitting that sometimes they might do not as great a job because they haven't had as many chances. And so taking a little bit of extra time to mentor, being like, oh, okay, there's lots of spelling mistakes in this draft you submitted. Cool, the editor will fix that. Or like, mm, I don't like the way this rule is phrased. Can we work a way to like make it more condensed, but like give them the chance to kind of work and stuff like that. Call outs on social media can really help as well. Sending it out to publications that you approve, that you know could get that reach for you. Like, hey, we're looking for someone it's a paid position, it's professional, it's at, It's not exploitative, it's not like, oh, we're gonna pay you less because you don't have experience. Sorry, like, it's the same rate you do everyone else. There's a like very definite the magic word in there, paid position. <laughs> mm. Can't stress that, it has to be that. And yeah. you're not gonna find your unicorn, you're not gonna find some magical writer who's that ethnicity that you've not found before, who's got 50 years experience, because they haven't had the opportunity, which is the definition of not having access to the industry. <laughs> but yeah, you gotta, 
you've got to be the one to put the work out there and you've got to admit that you're not going to find everything that you need but yeah i lost my train of thought but there we go yeah (laughs) i think um there's definitely uh there's like two areas you're looking for if you're specifically looking for hiring you need to you you know you do need to be fairly accepting of if you're hiring for in-person studio office work or whatever you are going to be limited by the demographic in the country you're in it's not it's not a moral failing if you start a con- uh, company in Scotland and you cannot find any people of color to, to work on your um, in your studio just on account of like the percentages are so small. If you are much more open to remote working um, and whatnot, you can absolutely cast a wider net. Um, and uh, a lot of the time you can find that um, uh, things like um, brain blanking, like pay and everything can, can vary quite wildly, massively differently when you start working with remote work. I am a firm believer that remote work is the future um, and that it opens more doors, it opens more opportunities and whatnot. Uh, so I hope that in as time goes on and offices continue to become more remote and everything, we can start to see more diverse teams coming together. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's, it, it is definitely a hard one where, y- you know, if you are looking for physical places, you can sometimes just be limited. And it's, it's not inherently a moral failing, especially if you're aware of it. Mm-hmm. You can be honest, especially in like, you know, even like social media or whatever, like who's, no one's gonna like throw shade at you or whatever. If, if someone's like, yo, you're all white and you're like, I live in a freaking hell of white country, my dude, <laughs> like it's, and we can't work remote, like, or whatever, you know, it's, it's um, as long as you're still putting some of the effort in and you're trying, like, you know, be aware of it, don't lose sleep over it would be, I guess, my, my argument. Yeah. That's my vision. The question is about We'll get to you eventually. I, I, I've seen you. I know you're here. I got you, Omi. I got you. Hi there. Um, I know we were just saying that obviously everyone needs to get paid. At the other end, we want to be welcoming everyone into the hobby, and there's lots of people that maybe can't afford to be buying special dice or 60-pound rule books, several supplements. Um, is there more that can be done from like a designer perspective or like running conventions and things to help with economic accessibility? Just stop the trend of foil on your book covers. It doubles the cost of the book. It's so stupid. I hate foil on books. Okay. I want money. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you could sell more to more people because it'd be cheaper. Because you've got you, total side note. But you, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there are um, there are incentives that's been going around. There's a community buy-in. Is it community buy-in? They use of H2IO. I can't remember my name exactly what it is. Community copy. That's Thanks, Hope. Thanks, Hope. Uh, community copies, which are giving out for every copy you buy, they give out a copy to someone who could possibly need it. PDF versions of things be much cheaper to go out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of incentives companies can do to make their games more accessible to people. Maybe making it so the book doesn't cost a fortune when you're buying it is also a really good one. I got a video site for this one, though it is. But there are multiple ways of bringing it up so people can get it. Honestly, giving away your books that you don't need is also a really good one to charity. A charity will gladly take them in and spin them around. There's a lovely charity in Uganda, which I can't remember the freaking name of right now, that people can send their role-playing stuff to, and they basically teach role-playing games to kids in Uganda. And I can't remember the name of the charity right now, and I'm really annoyed by it. Becky's going to kill me later, but it's <laughs> really cool. I really Josh, like can you find that for the show notes? Yes, mm. we'll find that charity for the show notes. Uh, could Thank you me. insert the part where I say it right here? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Do not do an impression, Josh. <laughs> <No. laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> don't don't do an impression, please, God. No. Um, yeah. Next question. Go 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 go. There's also. I, I oh, sorry, sorry. Wait wait wait. Sorry, I was wrong. I was uh, the other thing I was just going to say is uh, also free RPG day. Very good. Yeah. If you are a publisher and you are especially if you're doing like trad publishing, like big ass friggin' D and D style books or whatever. Get in on free RPG day. You can do a cut down version of your rules, little adventure, kick it out there. Not only is it good for you because it gets more people out there, but again, folk who cannot afford to drop sixty quid on your big hardback, like you know, killer book, um, they can they can get in on it and try out and stuff. There's there's definitely lots of incentives out there, um, and also trying. 
I, f I feel like there's 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 like an artisanal hobby aspect of it where some people believe that to play D and D correctly, you need to have a wormwood table mm -hmm. um, and freaking dice cut from the marble of God or whatever, <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. When really, at the end of the day, a bunch of your friends can gather around a table with some sticky notes, a single pencil, a single set of dice, and like a two-dollar game from itch.io, and you can have fun. We need to be making sure that we're balancing our desires as publishers, as developers, because you know we want to get paid. So, you know, you know, we still need to be producing content that's making money, but we need to also make sure that we're stepping back and saying, well, you don't, you don't need the limited edition version of the book. It's if you can afford it, great, but absolutely never look down on someone for it, because um, I've absolutely seen that in games of the past where uh, a person will all join the game and they have like some I don't know dice from like a board game or whatever that they've brought along and they're you know it's a set of polyhedral that still works but yet they're sitting next to Tim who spent $200 on bespoke kickstarter dice or whatever and they'll turn around and be like ah well, you know it's torn up and it's like hey I do do not so it's like a little self-regulatory thing as well just a cultural thing you do not need all the expensive goblins to play role-playing games Last question. <laughs> Before you say that, the, com the, the thing was called the Butterfly Project. I got it now. Just insert that in there. The Butterfly Project. We'll, we'll work it out. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. So I don't remember who it was in the panel. We were talking a bit before about how hard and ridiculous it is to find examples of real-world planet Earth diversity in fictional realms where they're chucking around fireballs and dragons and so forth. So I'm quite a believer in. Was it yourself? Oh, Hi. Sorry, it's Lloyd. Sorry. Hi, it's me. Hi. Um, <laughs> I'm quite a believer in like positive examples of role um, role models and things, particularly in fictitious worlds. So has anyone on the panel had any found any particularly good war games, RPGs that do a really good job of bringing forward types of diversity that you haven't been able to do before? I prefer the game. <laughs> I will confess, I prefer games that have almost nothing to do with the world whatsoever. I'm the worst in the world. I would much rather play Soulbound by Cubicle 7 than anything that even touches the real world. <laughs> that is such a plug. <laughs> I know. It wasn't, me. it wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. But as an example, it's, it's high fantasy. Yeah, it's fantasy. It's, it, there's very little, well, from a, my viewpoint, very little real world grounding in that. And that's the way I love it. That's the reason I love that game. Whereas there's other games where you can go be miserable in the mud if you want. Yes. Stuff like that. Are there any games that you found particularly good for Thirsty Sword Lesbians. <laughs> okay, that I mean question answer. Swords. Next question. Swords. Swords. <laughs> oh my god, no swords. <laughs> Thirsty Sword Lesbians was really, really, really good. I mean like I was like I was so impressed with that book. I was not expecting anything. I, I went that book with an open mind and I came out glorious. <laughs> Such a great book. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to beat my brains off. <laughs> it's hot. I'm tired. Um, Cardio Crow is a fantastic one, but I feel like that's kind of cheating. Because which is Haunted West was really great. I, I really love it when people go out of their way to try and represent a lot of people within the books. Actually, I, I'm going to throw in Star Trek Adventures, but I feel like that's cheating. And I, and I've actually, jumping my head there, non-role-playing example, the board game Foley. God, I can never say it. It's about uh, Hindu color festival. I unpunched, I punched it for the board game library and then sat and looked at it for two hours and went, and then I spent like an hour and a half on a wiki troll mm -hmm. and then a week later it arrived, having bought it, unboxed it again, played it and now I'm like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> and I'm just blown away by it. And I knew nothing about that subject before now and now I've fallen in love with it and I'm like, this is just amazing. Simply by being a bright, beautifully colourful box full of beautifully composed components that's around the theme of a subject that is so far removed from my reality that I'm just like wow and I'm literally 20% battery gone like oh 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 <laughs> oh, 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 oh I think uh, for myself a couple that jumped to mind immediately that I've seen recently and this is entirely just because I was doing a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse research masks very nice um, anything that shows like a bunch of like superheroes being awesome, but those superheroes also being like a cool, diverse team, good. Um, Monster Hearts as well, um, a bit of an uh, older one at this point, but there's a lot of queer representation and everything in there, which is very nice. 
yeah, it's it's an interesting one sometimes because a lot of the time you are limited in the amount of um, like char direct named character representation you can do in role-playing games because they're not fiction, they're not, um, you know, you don't necessarily have big narratives and stories and throwing people over comes troubles with characters because normally you're presenting players with a sandbox and you're presenting you're presenting character archetypes character art and whatnot um, which is ideally like um, representative of, of like a, a broad range um, but uh, yeah you can sometimes get with like uh, adventure modules and everything as well um, if I have to read another adventure module where all the villains are queer people, I'm going to rip my eyes out. Mm -hmm. um, yep. D Disney has a lot to answer for, is all I'm saying. We love it, and yet we hate to see it. But then we love to see it. Mm, we kind of hate to see it. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's an interesting one for like individual. Sometimes it just comes down to like you know people really just want to draw like all these awesome characters. Um, yeah. Another form. So I have thought of one now. My brain is cooking. Oblivion. But uh, it's Brindlewood Bay. It's the first one I've seen. Old little nannies. <laughs> you don't see old people in role-playing games. That's another form of accessibility. Of like, we're all gonna get there one day. Uh, we have. Wait, to we are. Oh god. Oh god. Plastic surgery and Botox. But uh, yeah, we don't see old people in role-playing games. Or if we do, they're sort of like this Yoda-like sage figure. And it's nice to be able to... Or witches. Oh. All old ladies are or witches, don't you know? Hags. Mm. Like, it's... There are tropes that are fun, but they're not empowering. And it's nice to have a game where you play as old people and they get to go up to mysteries and have adventures. Because, you know, a lot of our current Scottish white culture kind of frames old people... I don't know... Not favorably. You've got still game and that's it. And <laughs> <laughs> even then, the hey, stuff they get up to, then. you're a bit like, is that what I got to look forward to? <laughs> yes, even then. Yeah. Can we make still game the RPG adventure? <laughs> 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 I'm sure there'd be a license for it. So I think we've, we've actually gone slightly over, but that's mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I believe we've successfully managed to not answer the question. But that Wait, what? I, I tried. But, <laughs> but I'm sorry. I think it's fair to say that that's because there is no one answer to the question. And actually, the only answer there really could be is that we all have to put the work in. We'll Ooh. do the work. Ask the question is the important bit. Once you've asked the question, that's the way they're going to figure it out. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much to the panel. And I uh, hope you all enjoy the rest of the convention. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. <laughs> We applaud ourselves. Is that? Is that good? Yeah. yeah.